0: Municipal leaders are dedicated to their communities. May describe their leadership roles as a labor of love, and it must be, because the amount of time that they devote and the passion and dedication certainly shows that they are committed to serving their communities. Our municipal leaders step up to the plate to guide their communities every day, sometimes having to make very difficult or controversial decisions. In 2023, many officials made the difficult decision to step down. They did so for a variety of reasons. Whatever motivated their decision, we here at CCM want to thank them for their tireless work, their time, and putting their hearts and souls into their communities. It has been our privilege over the years to speak with many of these outgoing officials, and in this episode, we will look back at some of those interviews. We'd like to thank our sponsors at Gateway Community College and Housatonic Community College. The Municipal Voices is the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities podcast in collaboration with WNHH LP 103.5 FM. I'm your host, Matt Ford. As always, be sure to give us a like and let us know what you're thinking in the comments. CCM's Municipal Voice podcast continues to present a key forum on important state local issues. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the consensus views of CCM or member municipal leaders.
1: You know, I think one of the important things about politics is knowing when to say when.
0: Neil O'Leary spent the last 12 years serving as the mayor of Waterbury. Prior to being elected mayor, he also served as police chief. Bay O'Leary joined us on the podcast in 2019, along with Senator Martin Looney.
1: Great to be with you. It sure, sure is a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Uh, we're one of the few cities um, that has seen uh, increasing student enrollment okay. every year. year. Your school systems are growing. Yes. Yeah. So over the last seven years, we've taken in a 1,000 new children. Mm-hmm. Um, but take every, so- every town around Waterbury. Yeah. Their enrollment over the last seven years has gone down between 20 and 25%. Wow. That's an amazing Yeah, decline. That's very significant. Yeah. It really is. It's very significant. So there's a lot of empty school mm-hmm. uh desks there in those uh areas. So uh Senator and I thought it would be a good idea. You have a great planet here in New Haven where you, your students go to uh Cheshire, yeah. uh, Cheshire Public Schools, and there's other participating uh uh towns around New Haven that uh take students as well. Uh, we broached that subject and then uh we because of not only the uh influx of the uh, Hispanic uh students from of Puerto Rico mm-hmm. uh during maria uh the aftermath of Maria, but also because of the- constant growth every year- mm-hmm. um and so we're working those details out with the uh with the surrounding towns, of course they like to see what the, it's gonna how it's gonna be reflected in their budgets as well basically yeah, and that's an obvious so it's but the good news is we're uh, I think that we're open minded and there's mm-hmm. there's talking points under the uh, as center Looney points out the elephant in every room, uh, whether it's the smallest town in in the state or the largest city. Is the cost of education? Yeah, and the truth of the matter is, the education cost sharing grant is a is a subject that's under discussion each and mm-hmm. every year. And um, you know, so those uh, those, as Senator alluded to, those uh, cities and towns with declining enrollment, and then you have other cities with mm-hmm. uh, you know increasing enrollment. And uh, so it's always fun to get in a room and try to figure out what's fair and equitable. And that's mm-hmm. uh, that's a lot of discussion on Senator's side of the aisle yeah. and in the House as well. Um, it's an exciting time. I think that the Lamont administration, uh, recognizes the challenges of the urban mm-hmm. districts. Uh, but they also are sensitive to the smaller, uh, um, towns and, and recognize their challenges as well with the yeah. de- cloning, uh, declining enrollments. But how does that equate to, um, you know, the budgetary process? There's something yeah. called the municipal budget requirement that's in place and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's put in place for all the right reasons in the sense that towns just mm-hmm. can't arbitrarily slash education budgets yeah. and have a negative impact on children. And we believe in that, by the yeah. way. We believe uh, children should we get believe the in education, education that yeah. they should get. And, and uh, you know, when towns start uh, slashing budgets and negatively mm-hmm. impacting a school budget, and it could negatively impact the quality of a child's education. Yeah, yeah the other thing in the room is uh, and, and uh, is the special education. Side yeah, that, that's situation. a big,
0: big question right there. So
1: in Waterbury, about 22% of our 19,000 children have been identified with some sort of special needs. Yeah. Um, it's wide ranging, uh, but it's also can be extraordinarily
0: expensive. And, Mm
1: -hmm. and so, uh, you know, we're, we're always trying to tackle those issues working on our legislative. And I know that
0: it's an issue obviously for water, but in smaller towns, it can be an even bigger issue because a single student moving from one town to the other, who's a special education can drastically change the budget for a a smaller town.
1: A smaller town that has one or two out-of-district placements could be Mm -hmm. in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Uh, Whereas uh, Waterbury, New Haven, Bridgeport, Hartford, we have schools that some of them have been equipped to handle such children. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually, Senator, uh, taking four special uh, children from uh, the town of Watertown. Uh, (laughs) Makes it easier and cheaper for them to send them one town over into Mm -hmm. Waterbury, into our school, than to send them to other further away places.
2: Uh, we have to look creatively at some ways to deal with the property tax because that is our, I think, our single impediment uh, that yeah. people cite all the time, where they they cite Connecticut as being burdensome or non-competitive.
0: Yeah. Mayor,
1: very much uh, in agreement uh, with uh, Senator Looney's assessment of the property tax being the, uh, you know, the biggest challenge yeah. that we face. That particularly in a city like Waterbury, um, mm-hmm. you know, our mill rate is very, very high uh, for a variety of reasons. Yeah. A lot of which goes back uh, to uh, decades uh old uh, challenges and yeah, issues and, and a lot like, of things that happened a lot of history uh, yep. during those years having said that um you know the truth is is that uh you know i it's a big impediment for us to grow our mm-hmm. grand list and and continue on a positive economic development of people who are looking in the city want to relocate their business to the city mm-hmm. um you know the first thing they're uh, become very the much man, aware is, of is, is that is the mill rate. Yeah, so yeah. And we're we're forced and and not always opposed by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. to, uh, come up with aggressive, uh, tax stabilization, uh, programs yeah. working with DECD state agencies, and, and figuring out a way to get these businesses here in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in Connecticut and in Waterbury. So we've enjoyed some success in that. And, uh, we've also enjoyed the uh, support from the legislature on some of these initiatives. How does increased rail transportation, uh, affect a city like Waterbury? It's the, it's a, it's a game changer. Yeah. A life changer um our uh the, under governor Malloy, uh, there was a uh, project that was put in place for the dot to uh, a 70 million dollar improvement mm-hmm. on the um our single rail line um you know the so what we did is uh, we got uh, uh, approval thankfully and it's budgeted for uh, resignalization on the mm-hmm. waterbury line from bridgeport but most importantly to put sidings in Okay. So the sidings, of course, you know, we have one rail. So when the northbound train is coming, okay. And the southbound train has to wait before it can leave until the northbound train arrives. Okay. So if you get a siding, one can pull off and let the other one go by. Okay. So we have one under construction now at the Devon station, which Mm -hmm. is really exciting. And our ridership center in Waterbury has already gone up. Um, And, 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 you know, our rail line is in constant need of improvement. But the fact is, is that uh, the, a lot of these issues have been addressed for yeah. the legislative session, which we're really proud yeah. of. Um, so, do you get a lot of commuters out of out of Waterbury so into? We got about a thousand people yeah. that commute now to Lower Fairfield County, okay, and to uh, New York, to Manhattan mostly, and beyond, mostly yeah. and beyond uh, each day. Yeah. Um, and so, for quite a while, because of the, um, you know, the the faulty rail line, a lot of mm-hmm. them would commute by vehicle, or or they would, uh, you know, come here to New Haven and jump down the rail line here. Yeah. Well, now we're seeing with the improved uh, services. You know, these our our yeah. train station parking lot is suddenly full, which is a beautiful, is thing great to yeah, say. That's what it should be. What's even more beautiful is when we see our, our student enrollment growing, and we do mm-hmm. our research on where these folks are coming from. A lot of these folks are coming out of New York because of the it's much uh, cheaper, quite cheaper frankly, and, and, and affordable with good transportation. It's, it's, it's our, viable. our our home. Uh, prices are lower. Our rents are Mm -hmm. lower and our schools are strong. And this is what these people, uh, why they're coming into Waterbury because, you know, they want to provide a better opportunity for their children, which is exactly why we're all sitting here. Yeah. Doing everything we can to make that happen. And one of the challenges of CCM and Senator Looney and I spoke about this a couple of years ago is, is when you do have an organization that's made up of such a diverse group of Mm -hmm. very small to very large, very wealthy, very poor. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get everyone on the same page. I'm really optimistic yeah. that we have people mostly on the same page now. Yeah. And it's because people have opened their eyes and recognized yeah. that we can do better. And it's not going to take anyway, away yeah. anyone's independence or autonomy. It's only going to enhance the opportunities to do yeah. better and provide better opportunities for our children through the education process as well. So I think we're in a very good place. And that's, yeah. uh, it's exciting because it took us a while to get there.
0: You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WHH 103.5 FM.
3: Mayor Luke Bronin announced he will not be seeking re-election. After
0: serving two terms as mayor of Hartford and also serving two terms as president of CCM's board, all while COVID turned the whole world upside down, Luke Bronin has announced that he will not be seeking a third term. We spoke with him on the show in 2022. Why is it important that towns and cities come together uh, to have a voice at the capital, kind of the way they do through an organization like CCM? Look, I think it's always important for
4: towns and cities to have a voice, to have uh, a body that's representing their interest up at the state Capitol. Uh, it's important every year. Uh, we say this about a lot of things now, but I think yeah. it's true that it's it's never been more important than it has been over the past couple of years and continues to be right now. You know, there's there's... Uh, there are so many ways in which this pandemic has changed the game uh, at the local level and raised the stakes. And we're all dealing with unprecedented challenges, uh, but we also have some uh, unprecedented opportunities to marshal resources to tackle those challenges and making sure that we've got a coordinated, unified uh, advocacy effort uh, that's representing the interests of cities and towns, whether it's on an issue as small as how to run uh, hybrid meetings or how mm-hmm. to allow towns to, uh, to be flexible in that regard, uh, or whether it's as significant as uh, the utilization of the you know, substantial amounts of federal uh, relief funds that have come into the state. Uh, from, from issues big to small, uh, there's an awful lot at stake for municipalities right
0: now. Um, there have been some pro- proposals out there to help lower property taxes, which remain some of the highest in the country. Um, can you talk a little bit about why they're so high and, as a regressive tax, how can we go about reducing over reliance on this funding mechanism?
4: Sure. You know, reducing Connecticut's over reliance on the property tax uh, as the source of local government funding has been a long standing priority for CCM, uh, appropriately so. We are one of the most reliant on property taxes in the country. Uh, You know, property taxes really are the only meaningful source of locally generated funds that municipalities are allowed to tap. Uh, And that's unusual. In a lot of states, municipalities uh, have uh, a dedicated share of other revenue streams, like mm-hmm. a dedicated share of sales tax revenue uh, or a dedicated share of income tax revenue, or they have the ability to impose those other forms of revenue raising uh, within their own jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. In Connecticut, municipalities are not allowed to impose any other uh, Tax. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. there's, there are modest fees that uh, that are imposed in certain circumstances. But the only large revenue raiser that municipalities in Connecticut are allowed to use is the property tax, um, mm-hmm. and that leads to uh, all kinds of distortions and all kinds of inequities mm-hmm. you know, when you have uh, towns that are uh, vastly uh, more. Uh, well endowed in property wealth uh, mm-hmm. versus others you create massive gaps and you know a few years ago the boston fed did a study of what they called the need capacity gap mm-hmm. and what it found was that uh, some municipalities uh, in connecticut have uh, not enough capacity not enough grand list value property, mm-hmm. taxable property to meet the needs in that community whereas other communities have far more than enough to meet Needs and that of course mm-hmm. creates vast disparities in the uh, in property tax rates between communities. That in itself I think is is a problem. Uh, but there are other ways in which the over reliance on the property tax is a real problem. Mm-hmm. You know, take a small town that wants to preserve its local character, but may be incentivized or, or indeed required by uh, revenue demands mm-hmm. to allow for other forms of development: development of big box stores, uh, development of commercial commercial development that fundamentally uh, uh, eats up the open space that they prize, uh, it, it, it forces decisions that may not be in communities' interest. So there are so many ways in which the over-reliance on the property tax is damaging. Obviously, I sit here as uh, not just the president of CCM, but as the mayor of the city of Hartford. Yeah where I've seen some of the uh, profound consequences of this need capacity gap. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the city of Hartford, uh, you have uh, a, a very small taxable property base. Mm-hmm. That's partly because of the amount of property that is non-taxable, state, college, hospital property, and only mm-hmm. partially reimbursed by the state payments in lieu of taxes. Yep. Um, it's partly uh, because the city got into a vicious cycle decades ago, whereas the mill rate went up, uh, more and more properties changed hands from mm-hmm. taxable uh, you know, for-profit hands to non-taxable, non-profit hands, uh, further degrading the the grand list. And then you can also just get distortions as the property tax rises, the value uh, ultimately is impaired by that. And Mm -hmm. we we see that as well. So there's just countless ways in which an over-reliance on property tax is not good policy. And let me close on the one that you mentioned, which is the fact that it is extremely regressive, right? That the property tax falls on property owners regardless of their income. And uh, all over the state, you've got an awful lot of families, an awful lot of seniors uh, who own a home as their sole significant asset, don't have significant sources of income, uh, and uh, yet they are taxed on the basis of the value of that asset. And uh, that also uh, is something that should trouble all of us.
0: What do you think the state could be doing to help towns fight the opioid epidemic?
4: Well, here again, let me just say I I think from my conversation with the Lamont administration that this is an area that they are uh, very eager and willing to partner with towns uh, to tackle. Um, And and also, let me just just back up by saying one of the things that CCM has done over the recent months has been to coordinate with the Attorney General's Office in making sure that uh, every Connecticut municipality, as many municipalities as possible, participated in the National Opioid Settlement, Mm -hmm. which will bring significant resources back to Connecticut and to Connecticut towns to invest in combating the opioid epidemic, uh, whether uh, through prevention efforts, treatment efforts, um, uh, any number of, of ways of investing to, uh, to combat that epidemic. Uh, as, as you probably know, the epidemic, uh, the opioid epidemic has hit every community across the state and across the country in devastating ways. And in my city, we were hit in a truly devastating way a couple of weeks ago when uh, we lost a very young boy, 13 year old boy, seventh grade, uh, to um, fentanyl poisoning. And uh, I I think that uh, raised, awareness for a whole lot of people who weren't otherwise focused on this. Mm-hmm. And it gives us, uh, I, I hope, uh, that renewed sense of, of mission to tackle this epidemic with the uh, comprehensive approach it demands. And, and I think what CCM is saying is that it really does need a comprehensive approach. Mm-hmm. It, it requires, yes, a law enforcement approach, but also a treatment approach, expanding access to medication-assisted treatment, expanding mm-hmm access to residential treatment programs, expanding education and awareness efforts, not just in our schools, but throughout our communities. Uh, So the uh, increased harm reduction work to make sure that we are uh, preventing overdoses. Uh, There are so many different fronts that we've got to fight on. And I think one of CCM's views that we'll be advocating this year is that that also means that there should be some central point of coordination, much as we saw with with the uh, with the coronavirus pandemic and central point of coordination to help bring all of the different players and all the different partners who have to be a part of that effort together and make sure that we are really tackling this on every front.
0: One issue related to transportation is the Transportation Climate Initiative. Um, what is the preference of municipalities in Connecticut uh, when it comes to programs like TAR and LOCIP that already exist?
4: Well, you, so you mentioned TCI, the Transportation Climate Initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I will say, uh, I, I personally have been a vocal advocate for TCI uh, since mm-hmm. it was first uh, proposed. Um, as you know, you know, I was, uh, I was not able to be at the uh, annual convention this past year. I had to have a surgery, and so yeah. I was out of commission. But CCM adopted uh, unanimously Uh, a position in support of the transportation climate initiative, uh, which uh, is, I think, a powerful statement that our towns and cities recognize both the urgency of taking action on climate Mm -hmm. and taking climate stewardship seriously and also uh, recognize the need to make new investments in transportation uh, and all modes of transportation, uh, focusing in particular on increasing uh, bike and pedestrian infrastructure, um, making sure that we're investing in uh, EV charging infrastructure, All of those changes that would allow us to uh, shift away from our dependence on cars as the Mm. only way of getting around, which is ultimately a hugely important part of decarbonizing. So um, I think it's a really uh, remarkable, uh, in some ways quite unexpected, um, but I think uh, important statement from Connecticut municipalities that they uh, support the Transportation Climate Initiative, uh, recognizing the urgency and importance of taking action both on climate and on uh, uh, investments in multimodal transit and other forms of uh, greener um, uh, infrastructure development at the local level.
0: You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM.
3: sometimes there is a time to go
4: after mulling over it for months west haven's mayor nancy rossi making the decision not to run again
0: mayor nancy rossi has served the city of west haven for three terms she has announced that she won't be seeking re-election this year and is looking forward to retiring with her husband we spoke with the mayor in this interview from 2020. mayor rossi thanks for being here today
3: Thank you for inviting me. I'm really um, excited about being here and talking about our wonderful city, West Haven.
0: I know West Haven and New Haven, a lot of other towns, um, have a growing portion of property that's non-taxable. Um, you have UNH um, in town, Yale's got a presence in town, there's the VA. Um, do you feel like the state could be doing more to provide its towns and cities with proper funding um, in programs like the payment in lieu of taxes or pilot uh, that would offset some of these exempt properties
3: um, I believe they they should do more because once again it's very difficult especially for a tier three municipality which mm-hmm. is what financially to be able to meet our obligations so basically what we lose in um, the pilot funding if we don't mm-hmm. get of it we have to pass on to the taxpayers and so i i am hopeful in the future that they'll come up with a different formula and give um myself and we're not the only municipality like this there's others around us when you have a lot of tax exempt property mm-hmm. you have control over if the state only allows x amount of dollars you, you know you have to make it up elsewhere and that is a, a difficult and daunting task
0: um part of the MARB agreement is having five-year plans um And a big goal for West Haven is economic development. Um, In the 60s, 70s, 80s, there's a lot of pushback over some of the beachfront developments that were happening at that time um, that could have changed the character of of the beachfront. Um, But there's a few places that have sat dormant for a little while now, like Chicks um, on B Street, supermarket around the corner. Do you see these areas as ripe for development
3: I do see them as ripe for development, especially with Beach Street. We have started the project down by our water pollution control plant to raise mm-hmm. the road. One of the problems there, and it affects public safety, is um, there, it, it's a flood zone. Yeah. So, we've had the two super storms that came in and, you know, really demolished that area. Mm-hmm. People lucked reluctant, especially developers, to say, well, hey, I'm going to come there and put that in when and the next storm could be right around the corner. Yeah. So we were able to secure um, uh, funding um, uh, both on the state level through some Mm -hmm. bonding and also on the local level Um, it is from the city of west haven some bonding we started phase one which is water pollution control Mm -hmm. and that is raising the road as we speak and my understanding is that project started approximately a month ago Mm -hmm. and is um, scheduled to um, finish early, that it will definitely be finished before the end of the year because I talked with the engineer just the other day. Mm-hmm. So that that's a big deal along mm-hmm. with, we have secured um, money um, again through um, the bonding commission through the state of Connecticut to um, complete to phase two and phase three. So mm-hmm. that will take the road um, higher and bring it up to the debonair um, hotel, where the debonair hotel is. Okay. So I believe that once the developers see that something really is happening to correct um, the flood zone and also the public safety issue down there, I do believe we're gonna have um, a lot of interest. And I very much believe we have the most beautiful beach mm-hmm. <laughs> in Connecticut, and I would like to showcase it. And you know, other beach fronts have, you know, whether it be shops, whether it be uh, center, a hotel, whatever it is, we are, ho- we are hoping and planning on developing that area. Um, and we're not going to violate any of the land trust stuff, because they know that the, that group worked mm-hmm. very hard in that. And people don't realize that's a small part, and um, it's not the whole beach or anything like yeah. that. We have plenty of room for development, uh, and we are going to utilize that and go forward with it.
0: So in Allingtown's section of West mm-hmm. Haven, uh, UNH has seen a lot of growth over the last decade. Um but only recently have some new businesses kind of come in surrounding that. Have you talked with uh, UNH and worked with them on any projects? Is there anything in the pipeline to the area in the future?
3: Well, we did start um, talking to them before COVID, but unfortunately when COVID hit, and of course all their students had to go home, we haven't done much down there. But we will continue talks because there are some different areas that I think we can partner with and work together. I have met with President Kaplan on several occasions since I've taken office, mm-hmm. this. But I do believe there's opportunity there, especially with um, the Atwood Parkview. Capetas uh, has done a major renovation on their mm-hmm. business. And so it really um, is night and day from where it was just a few years back. And I want to continue that growth in Allingtown yeah. so that the, the taxpayers there get some tax relief as well. Because, again, economic development growth is, is key to, you know, alleviating a lot of these tax increases. Yeah.
0: Uh, you mentioned some solar projects and, you know, renewables are, are kind of the, the future, it seems like, in a lot of places. Um, are those, how are those projects proceeding? Are those on city properties? Are you, were there grants? Are you working with a company? How, how does that work?
3: Actually, all of what you just said. Uh, some are going to be on some of the Board of Ed properties, which mm-hmm. are city. Properties as well. We've done some grants and we are, we are facilitating wherever we can. I know the city council, our sitting city council, is very, very um, big on um, using solar and it does. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Plus, we uh, not only reap the, you know, the, energy, the, the benefits of all of it, um, however, we also get paid for some of it. So we will yeah. get some revenue out of it.
0: So it, it makes financial sense as well as environmental sense.
3: Right, both. It, it's always, always nice. Yeah, always nice. Makes it a lot
0: easier to decide. How do you feel about the, the future of West Haven?
3: I feel West Haven has a bright future. We have a very resilient group. Uh, Westies, we all stick together, um, you know, and even though West Haven, the way it is, it may get a little, <laughs> you know, controversial here and there, but we yeah. all stick together and I think we have a resilient group. I think we've weathered the worst part of the storm, Knock wood mm-hmm. You know all of that because again COVID did set us back I know <laughs> COVID did set us back some and I'm not yeah. going to say that it absolutely did but that being said I, I'm hoping that you know we continue the progress we've made um, with, with not only the COVID and, and mm-hmm. keeping safe but with economic development and raising revenue in different ways outside of the box rather than just raising taxes. <laughs>
0: You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM. John Elsesser became Coventry's town manager on May 3rd, 1988, making him currently the longest-tenured town manager in the state. He has also served many years on the board of CCM. He's ready to retire, but he isn't ready to give up on his passion for helping others. We spoke with him in 2020 about microgrids. You have a microgrid project going on Um, that involves
2: the uh, Pura. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, it's probably one of the most complicated things I've done in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, working actually with a CCM uh, um, partner, uh, we went out and got uh, a microgrid uh, grant through DEP for $4 million. Mm-hmm.
0: So
2: the grant actually goes to the, the partner who will design and build the system. Okay. So we've actually been working on, uh, implementing it for, and the design for it, for almost a year and a half to two years mm-hmm. now. Um, but the plan would be that they would install uh, a microgrid at our uh, high school, uh, mm-hmm. which would be made up of combined heat power generators. Uh, okay. So they would fire up with natural gas, generate electricity, uh, and we would actually buy electricity from them mm-hmm. under a power purchase agreement at at no higher than current market rates. Okay. Um, and then, if the power went out, we would be able to run on that for a minimum of 14 days. So you could uh, just switch uh, to battery quality. power or whatever and you'd be good to go. Uh, well, it generates power. Uh, its phone, yeah. Uh, so, as long as we have natural gas uh, coming, uh, we would have power. Okay. Um, and it's gonna be combined with uh, solar mm-hmm. uh, and batteries, uh, and the batteries will allow us to get into demand management, so we'll mm-hmm. uh, rid ourselves of, uh, uh, demand charges, uh, especially at our high school, when you turn the football lights on, uh, your rate goes up for 12 months. Um, but it's, it's really exciting because it will, it will, uh, give power, uh, for our high school, our middle Mm -hmm. school, our town hall, our school administration building, our, uh, radio tower and emergency management, uh, uh, um, EMD, uh, Mm -hmm. center, uh, 80 units of elderly housing that have electric heat. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of what people ask, what do town managers lose sleep over? Uh, 100, 100 seniors living in houses without electric heat. The <laughs>
0: yeah, that's, that's not something you, you want in the news, uh, certainly.
2: And we're also tie in our police station and our, our fire station. So it's it's that's not like a, a, a large area of the town stuff there. Uh,
0: yeah. So our
2: core essential services, uh, we kind of joke, the only thing uh, that we don't have is a bank and a grocery store. Uh, our fueling station for the town vehicles is also at the firehouse. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll be able to provide provide fuel for our police fire trucks and, and snow plows uh, if it's a winter storm. Yeah. Uh, so it's exciting, very complicated. And mm-hmm. we're having uh, issues. Uh, you know, it's a great state program for resiliency. And mm-hmm. uh, we're into resiliency. We're a, a silver uh, uh, city on that CCM co-op collaborative program. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, it's not $4 million of support. Sounds like a lot. Yeah. But uh, we're finding that the most of the money is going to end up going to Eversource. Okay. Uh, for the switch gear. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're right, right on the brink where one of our... Um, requirements are that we don't pay more than we're paying now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're having difficulty doing that because um, the police and fire station are across the street from us. Okay. And under pure and state law uh, regulations, uh, um, you can't cross the road. It's kind of kind of like, you, like know, a chicken. you can't be a chicken. Uh, <laughs> um, but um you know, why is it chicken across the road? Uh, you can't bring power across the road without violating ever sources, uh, or or if you're in uh, UL uh, huh. territory, uh, they're a franchise. So um, towns can, mm-hmm. but we don't want to own the system because we want to just buy power. We don't yeah. want to run it. Um, so we may have to look at that. But right now we're looking at uh, seeking uh, some relief you through PURA mm-hmm. uh, to allow us to. You know, come up with a way uh, to either have a little bit more subsidy through the Pura uh, public safety uh, requirements um, to have them subsidize the cost of running mm-hmm. underground uh, wires between our police and fire station and across the road mm-hmm. uh, or, or some other type of relief. So it, it comes down to, again, um, the state has a brilliant program uh, for s- sustainability for uh, microgrids, but mm-hmm. they may need to add, add money or change the rules slightly because last round, the fourth round of this program, um, they granted nine, uh, grants. Mm -hmm. And at this point, only three of them are still alive. So it's great to have a program, but we're asked that DEP and Pura, um, look at the legislative intent was to make these programs work. Mm -hmm. And when you have that type of dropout rate, there's something seriously wrong. And, uh, and we're, you know, we're not, we're still one of those three that are alive, Mm -hmm. but the numbers still have to work. So we're trying to, you know, come up with ways to, to make, make it well known that it's a brilliant program Mm -hmm. and should be, uh, carried forward to a fifth round, especially if towns have dropped out or, or, or private sectors have, have dropped out, but they got to look at how to make the program work. Mm. And uh, I know in some of the other rounds, they've had people drop off for the same reasons. There just has to be a little bit more um, uh, either price reduction on, on mm-hmm. Eversource or some rules changes to allow the private sector to maybe run those those wires. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, so as I said, it's extremely complicated and we have a, an application um, in Pura and hopefully another... S- 70 80 days we uh, will mm-hmm. have an answer um, you know they, they've been good to work with and we understand uh, they have their their required processes yeah and they we, we actually had had to ask for a 90 day extension so the delay is not them. it's it's us trying to redesign re-engineer the program to make mm-hmm. it uh, cost effective and, and work but writing um, program for other people to look at but yeah uh, extraordinarily complicated so and there's, there's potential
0: work. there but it's not just an easy $4 million that you're handing over.
2: And we're using, uh, again, a CCM partner, ECG, uh, Mm -hmm. to uh, uh, be our technical advisor um, uh, with the private company uh, and uh, attorney Paul Michaud, who's also been involved with CCM programs uh, to oversee the utility regulatory process. And those are done actually at no cost to the town.
0: We'd like to thank our guests for the years of service to their communities. And we wish them the best of luck in their next chapters. We'd like to thank our sponsors at Gateway Community College and Housatonic Community College. Learn more at gatewayct.edu and housatonic.edu. The Municipal Voice is a co-production by CCM and WNHH, 103.5 FM. Kevin Maloney is our executive producer. Christopher Gilson is our producer. Larry Droz is on the boards. And I'm Matt Ford, your host. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and give us a like. And watch out for our CCM chat series on our YouTube page.